Good afternoon, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the 99%. I'm here with Elliot. Hello, everybody. <laughs> Sexy voice Elliot, apparently, and Marilyn. Smooth jazz. Hey, everybody. <laughs> that was a very smooth jazz voice. <laughs> um, all right, kick things off today. Let's say you can only do one activity, like sport or whatever you want to think of it as, for the rest of your life, which one do you pick? Elliot. Ooh, I'm assuming triathlons off the board, the way you worded the question. Yeah, we just got one, one sport, one activity. Could be bowling, could be darts, could be lifting, could be one sector of triathloning, could be skiing. I'm, I'm going with hiking slash mountain climbing. And, and then second answer, fight club, but not really. <laughs> okay. All right. Not, not, not actually, but uh, yeah, I think I'd have a really, yeah, I, I'm honestly, I, I think I would go with uh, hiking because then I can fit in backpacking and mountaineering and it all falls in. And I think if you just go with running, you are reasonably speaking, it's pretty hard to actually run to the top of a mountain. Um, so what I think start, that would... what if you start running and then it like devolves into a hike, does that count as a run or a hike? No, see that counts as that counts as like a, a speed hike. Right. So I think if you chose running, that's off the books, which mm. is why I choose hiking. Also, I don't know how long I can trust my ankle to hold up for at this point. So I'm skeptical. If I choose running, I'll just have become a couch potato. Um, yeah. And then the only reason I, yeah, I mean, obviously I love riding bikes, but, um, less gear and, and you can, you can hike basically anywhere. So there you go. All right. Marilyn. Oh, definitely bicycle riding. That's easy for me. Uh, yep. I think that would be the one I like to go fast. I was having a conversation with my girlfriend the other day. She said, how come you never hike with us? You don't do hiking. And I said, yeah, I'll hike if I'm kind of forced to, but it's so slow. I realized, I realized a while ago, if I only have time for one sport, I actually really like going fast. So I pick cycling. <laughs> That's fair. I like it. I, I would miss it. I'm, I don't. Yeah. I would definitely miss, miss it a lot, but <laughs> we can only choose one. Jesse. Um, so I'm, I'm nervous to say my answer now, cause you kind of shot holes in it, but I would pick running and it's mostly out of sheer laziness because it doesn't involve any equipment or things or like, you know, bicycles that I can break or pools I need to get to. And so I, you have tr two trustworthy ankles though. I think I'm just in shell shock for my fifth and latest ankle blow. So I, I very much would have chose. Yeah. Running. Um, for me, see it with, with running and hiking, you just can't, it's so slow. You can't go very far, right? Like, you can't go far and you can't go fast. Like riding, you, you get to see so much. Yeah, so but you like go really far and you can like up into the mountains, you can go like really long distances and you can go through, through, really through hiking. You can go. Yeah, I've done huge. You can do like 40 Yeah, but it takes like 14 hours or something crazy like that. Like I can see all that in five hours. Boom, done. <laughs> 
But that's my point. That's exactly why I choose it. Because <laughs> I can do 14 hours and be like, what are you uh, doing? I'm working all yeah. day. And then to go to a bunch of cool spots. And I and it's like cannonballs, that doesn't count as my sport, right? So I can still walk to the middle of nowhere and, and jump into a mountain lake, which is pure definitely part of my plan. And then you can't stop me from taking a few backstrokes in the middle of my hike. Um, but You're that definitely the wiggle room with the rules there, your rule breaker. Have you guys ever seen Too Hot to Handle? Rule break. <laughs> Is this movie from like the 1970s? No, it's a stupid. Anyways, it's a stupid show. All right, so we're gonna we're gonna bring it back now. We're gonna bring it back. Um, Where are you going with this, Jesse? So you want you want to run because it's efficient. I fully understand why. Yeah, as I'm constantly reminded, I'm old, and so like if I can get a workout in in a short amount of time and feel pretty good about it, that's kind of why I would pick running because you know you can run for like 30 or 40 minutes and feel like you did something. Whereas if you it's go efficient. for a 30, 40 minute ride, yeah, probably don't feel as accomplished. One sport I would not pick is swimming because <laughs> uh, I swam probably too much in my life to pick it at this point. And I also feel like it is sometimes very, very hard to see progress in the pool, which is my lead in to what we're talking about today. We're talking about you are tricky. <laughs> we were talking about <laughs> seeing progress and and whether or not progress is linear and how we expect progress to look and how it actually looks, like expectations versus reality. If we were going to do like one of those Instagram photo things, kind of like what you expect it to happen and then what actually happens as you're progressing through your season in each sport in a lifetime of sport, uh, kind of how you expect to see improvement and then how that improvement actually comes. They tend to be pretty different. I guess my experiences, they tend to be pretty different. I'm not sure if you guys agree with me or how you feel about that. It sounds like somebody's disappointed in their current swimming, but I fully understand. And yes, I agree a hundred percent. I think ultimately you could boil this down to like, uh, expectation management is one of the hardest aspects of becoming a good athlete. And it's like the people who handle that well, um, tend to continue to execute their, their training, uh, hopefully appropriately, which if they have appropriate training would lead to the best outcomes. Is that what we're getting at? Um, yeah, Am yeah, I no, I think, and just leading more on, on how that progress actually looks. And uh, I guess it, hopefully we can kind of get into like the, why it looks that way, but how that progress looks and, and, you know, hopefully kind of like normalizing the lack of linear progression in sport. Like you, you don't pick a, a five mile run loop and each time you do it, you knock five seconds off, right? It's, it's not going to be that, that linear progression that would be really nice and would make you feel warm and fuzzy. Uh, you know, progress in sport tends, tends to look a little bit different. Um, Marilyn, you yeah, can chime Sorry, go for Yeah, it. definitely. You know, it's uh, one of those things where I think if we start at the beginning, let's go back to our childhood. <laughs> nah, but <laughs> all joking aside, with progress, when people get into sport, it is absolutely different for each person and their background and how much time has already been invested and the type of athlete they are for sure. I've seen 
you know, I think it would be easy to conclude right off the bat with this conversation to say, okay, well, progress is, we could summarize it. Well, we'll just say progress is slow. It's not linear. It's, you know, it's going to be marginal, these kinds of things. And these are the words that with, when you think of this stuff, you might be under the impression that that's the message that we're going to try and carry. However, I have even just myself personally, when I took up triathlon and, and bike racing, it was, it was a really opposite sort of journey. You know, I, I took it up and I won my first Ironman boom, right out of the gates. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, not the very first one I did, sorry, I did Ironman Canada and then I did Ironman Malaysia. And so that progress and that, that was not a steady, long linear, you know, this like steady progression that saw ups and downs and plateaus and like all these things that we're probably going to dive into today. But I can say that with different athletes, I'm using myself as an example, because that's the easiest one. Certainly there's times, and you could say, you know, how does that even happen? But it was like, boom, right out of the gates was able to do really well. And I've certainly seen that in the past with other athletes too, depending on, you know, we can talk about backgrounds and how they come onto the sport and where they come from, that kind of stuff. I did not swim, bike and run before I did. I did run a little bit, but I didn't do any of the three sports. And so and then spent, then the, the progression after that was a very interesting journey. So, and not your typical of what you might think we're going to lay out here today. So I think it's going to be fun to talk about the differences in that and what could contribute to that and how you look for those different things. And then how you manage it, manage it from, you know, coach's perspective and the athlete's mind perspective, like you said, Elliot. Can I, Jesse, before you go to your next piece. I would like to throw an author under the bus. I would like to suggest that everybody uh, go to your local library and get the triathletes training Bible by Jill Friel and read it and look at it and look at all the logs where you progress in three weeks and then take a rest week and progress in three weeks and take a rest week. Perfect. And it's beautiful. And you read it and you think, Jesus, he has triathlon training figured out. And then once you finish reading it and taking all your notes, please throw out the book or burn it and never read it again. Um, because I think that book is super, super useful uh, as much as I'm making fun of it in that it has a bunch of great, oh my goodness, Jesse just pulled up the book. That's a new <laughs> version, man. I can't believe, I think I had the first two or two editions. They were bookmarked to heck because um, there's a bunch of good nuggets in there that make sense. The problem is if you read through the book and you follow all the rules, you cannot make a training plan how the training plans in the book are laid out. So I was like reading the book and I'm like, this doesn't make sense. You have all these rules and then you have this plan and they don't go together because that's not how human bodies progress. That's not how people's lives work. Even people who are full-time triathletes with nothing else to schedule, it just doesn't look like that. There's weather patterns, there's pool changes, there's it's there's just too much going on. Um, so in some sense, like I have always thought that book was quite funny because there is so many good nuggets in there, but then the training plans just don't match. And I think that's where we're trying to to get in here is like what the heck does progress even look like? And how are you supposed to progress at three sports at once at the same time, then culminating into a sport where you actually do all the three sports back to back to back? Um, it doesn't look pretty. Is that a pretty good place to start the conversation? 
Yeah. Yeah. No, I think it's, it is definitely a huge challenge to say, Oh, I'm going to get better at all three things simultaneously. And, and, but taking that back to Marilyn's point, I think one thing that happens a lot when people are getting into the sport or even just getting into structured training, even if they have a background in all three or they dabbled, you start, you know, some sort of structured training plan, working with a coach or something. And all of a sudden you do kind of see that, that accelerated progress where you have your line goes up and you're like, Oh, I'm, I'm progressing in all three. I'm getting a lot better quickly. And that tends to happen towards the beginning. And then all of a sudden I, I kind of see across the board athletes kind of hit that plateau of like, Oh, that, that quick growth is kind of done. And now all of a sudden I'm not seeing any growth and you kind of ride that plateau for a while. And then you, and then eventually you have a breakthrough. Maybe it's in one sport, maybe it's in two sports, or maybe again, you get a, a little breakthrough in all three, but that's kind of the, the pattern I see a lot with athletes is it's like a quick spike steady plateau where nothing's happening. People get frustrated. And that's kind of what I want to talk a little bit about, at least for the, the beginning is that like, once you hit that plateau, like, what do you do? How do you keep athletes motivated? And I guess, number one, do you guys, do you guys see that same thing in, in how athletes tend to progress in triathloning? Yeah, I'll go back to sharing some of my own personal experience <clears throat> as an athlete. And then later dive into what I see with over coaching hundreds and hundreds of people. But as an athlete myself, the interesting part is I, you know, I talked about my progression there being quite quick in Ironman triathlon. However, in swimming, and this is where I want, you know, it's an interesting point is that also taking into consideration someone's talent level in a specific sport of the, of the three. So cycling and running, it was that like really, really fast progression and continued to progress for years with swimming. I swam right around an hour for my first Ironman. And I can tell you about what the training looked like for that. And then throughout my entire career, I swam the exact same, exact same time. So spent years and years and years. And I can, you know, I can lay out the different training. And like you just mentioned, Jesse, like what the amount of motivation and the different things that I had to go through in order to continue to push swimming harder and harder and harder in all different capacities and boundaries to see absolutely no progress whatsoever. None, <laughs> none. I didn't swim one second faster. I swam, you know, I, I, I got, I got better at the sport and I got better at triathlon as a whole, but swimming, I really, I mean, I swam right around an hour, every single Ironman I did. I did a lot of, I did a lot of Ironmans where I swam a lot slower than an hour. You know, I swam like 115, depending on, uh, the different courses or what happened that day. So, but there was a lot of training that was, that went into from what it looked like for me to do that first one hour swim to you know, continuing to just swim an hour. So I have like really good examples of what that can look like as well. So can I ask a question on that? Mm -hmm. If throughout that time, if you did like whatever, a thousand TT in the pool, would your, did your pool times get faster throughout your career? And it just didn't, didn't really change much on race day. Or did your, did you not even see a difference in like, say your thousand TT? Yep. It, it, you know, it depended on the day, but for the most part, it was right around the same. You know, there was, there was snippets of time where in the pool, I showed a little bit faster times and, um, you know, like key sets, like 
you know, 40 by 100 on a 10 second send off long course meters, that kind of thing that were like big swim sets going into races, those kinds of things. Um, you know, you know, the four hundreds, that kind of things, thousand TT, the little, little fluctuations of better or a little bit slower, but you know what, pretty much right around the same time for a good span of, you know, over 10 years. <laughs> and so mentally, you know, and I went, I, I did all, all kinds of things. You know, when I first started swimming, I did your basic swim three days a week at masters. And from there it progressed to, I can tell you a laundry list of different swim training protocols and different things that we did to, to improve that and find something that would, you know, ultimately I needed to swim around 55, 57 minutes. And if you looked at me in the water, a lot of people said, well, that should be no problem. And it just never did. So, so yeah, that's a, it's definitely an interesting, interesting on this topic for sure. Do you, do you see that same stagnation in the other two, or do you think that swimming is kind of a unique beast? This can be for anyone. Well, it, it could be in all three for sure. I think, um, Maryland's is, issue. I mean, not that I was there watching it at all, but from hearing about it o- over the last couple of years, I imagine it was almost entirely form-based and not fitness-based at all. Um, and possibly for any fitness gains you made, you may have made, a slight form loss that like, isn't really noticeable to the naked eye, which would then equate to same times in the races. Um, and there's no way to go back and figure that out. Um, but in theory, if we are talking about just a hypothetical person with a similar layout to yourself, we would probably conclude something along those matters. Cause I find it hard to believe having heard all the, the work you put in that you didn't gain fitness in some way that was clearly applicable. And I always was curious, you're actually training for triathlon. You're not training for the swim. Um, so as you went through all that, when you got out of the water, as your career progressed and your swim stayed exactly the same, were you ever more prepared for the bike and the run as a result of your swim training? Absolutely. And that's the, that's the most important point to make. And that's the one thing that I, you know, I, I talk about with my athletes that will want to answer your question, Jesse, I think, you know, one thing about swimming is it's measured in such small increments, you know, it's like one, one hundredth of a second is an improvement. You see Olympic level swimmers, you know, the, the swim, the swim is measured, swim improvements are measured on so much smaller little increments than bike and run. And of course, bike and run become that way as well later on in a person's career. But in, in general, in a whole swim is measured in smaller improvements, one second, two seconds, you know, half a second, those kinds of things. Those are big improvements in the pool versus on the bike and the run. We wouldn't even notice those quite as much. Um, and then yes, to answer that for you, Elliot is absolutely, you know, that was the one thing when we talk about motivation, And you mentioned that staying, keeping your head in the game as progress plateaus for athletes is finding the other areas of improvement. My technique did to continue to improve my open water swim skills and continue to improve fitness overall so that I could keep biking faster and faster and run better and better off of that swim. Those kinds of things did improve. So you start to look for, instead of 
your progress is being measured in time. And this is another piece of the conversation, right? Is that progress is now also measured in other aspects that affect the overall performance for the athlete. So I think that's another piece of this conversation that's important and, and really good point that you bring up by asking that. Yeah. If you consume the same time, but the RP goes down and you feel better getting out of the water, that's, that's a huge gain that you can't really see that. I mean, obviously it would set yourself up to have better racing, but it, it's hard to look at that and say, it's hard to look at that and be like psyched. Like, Oh, I feel better. I swim the exact same time, but I feel better. So yeah, that that's an unmeasurable that that is hard to be as motivated for, but it is definitely a, a huge plus and obviously will make your race faster in the end. I think when you're analyzing some of the elites racing, like Jesse, your race you did in Florida, where um, Gustav Eden, can you not hear me? I, I can hear you. I just don't want to talk about Florida, but oh. let's go for it. Oh, well, <laughs> uh, yeah. Okay. Well, because obviously you weren't in the, I, I understand there was crazy waves. Um, and some people, like you essentially <laughs> missed the group out of, because of waves and current. Um, but the point is that, the front group obviously didn't swim fast. Um, and some people in that front group swam hard and some people like Gustav Eden was not trying at all. And if you've seen that guy swim in the draft legal races, when he's at the back, you know, he's usually at the back of the second group or in the third group. Um, he's back there and he's trying really hard. And of course that's a t uh, for him, like an hour, 40 hour, 45 race. So they're pegged the whole time. That's part of the race. But in the Ironman race, they're swimming warm-up pace, or he was swimming warm-up pace. Um, other people in that front group weren't. And when you come out of the water, you can very easily slink in if you then have appropriate fitness. So the biggest thing about progress is like, are you judging your progress, you know, in terms of can you do more swim, bike, run, or are you judging it like purely in a race sense of have you developed your swim in a way that helps you be faster at triathlon as opposed to, does it help you be faster at just the swim split? And you can want to get, you can, you can choose to progress at both, but there are people who get faster at swimming purely by fitness and then actually do worse in triathlon because they're just mispacing the whole race. Um, and that's not all that common, uh, but that, that does happen. It's a thing people need to be aware of. And I would say the bigger thing is when people like look at their bike splits and they say, oh my goodness, I rode so fast. I don't understand why I didn't go faster. I went slower overall, but you know, I had my fastest bike split ever. And it's like, well, you just learned that you can bike too hard, but it's a triathlon and you're refusing to admit what sport you're doing. Um, and I think we see that all the time in triathlon. So keep that in mind when you're judging your progress, if you're not comparing like a one race to that same course, the next year in similar conditions, you, you're looking at your overall time, who cares about your splits. Um, so keep that in mind, but I think we want to kind of move the conversation on to as time goes on, um, what is our definition of progress? right? As, as you don't maybe see, you know, let's say you're doing 800s on the track every week and you're running them in the same time at the same effort. Like how long is, how long can you do that before you deem that, uh, regression or how long do you do that where it is the same time where you consider a progress or something like that? Yeah, I think that's a good point. I think the, 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 what's going on around that is, is the big piece of the puzzle, right? Because 
if you can, if you're doing eights on the track and, and you're, you know, you're hitting the same time week after week and you're increasing your training load and your fatigue is getting higher and higher, then I'd say that's, that's a huge progress, right? You're, you're fit enough to maintain that while you're, you're pushing all the other dials up. And, and so I think that can be a huge win and that might be hard to, to see in the moment. If you're like, man, I'm still, still hitting threes for my 800s on the track. What's going on. Um, but if you look at everything else around that, then I think that that can be yeah a huge success. Whereas if, you know, if you have those, those days where you swim slightly faster, like Marilyn was talking about, but then you say, oh, well, I had like an easy day the day before, then it's like, well, did that just totally negate what maybe that progress that I did see? So I think looking at that whole picture is really important for actually seeing what, what that progress looks like in your entire um, kind of training load. Yeah. You know, triathlon's really fun because, you know, I'm just going to back up a second, make the comment that people in general, we're wired this way in our, in our minds need to see or recognize progress for motivation. So progress is really closely tied to motivation. And so we're lucky in a sport like triathlon, although triathlon is a sport itself, one, one big sport that it's its own unique dynamic. We get to, to have three different sports to say, okay, where am I making, where am I making these little, little, you know, little pieces of progress. And it might even be where people look further than just their actual training or, or even this skill development or times or anything like that. We're able to handle our nutrition just a little bit better. My routine is a little bit better. You know, there's all these elements within progress and the reason I think we wanted to have this conversation is because of that piece of how closely motivation and progress are tied together to one another. And it, and we just know that consistency over time, and although progress might go kind of like up and down and up and down, you know, and then shoot up for a little bit and, and it comes, you know, comes in these waves and, and it gets tighter and tighter as we get further along developed in the sport. It's like, if we can look at all the different pieces and elements of where progress is being made. It might be on your mental approach. It might be on your maturity of handling sessions. We're having a little fun conversation about this, about an ath- a young athlete before, right? As you just get a little bit more mature of, of making decisions for yourself, that can be considered progress. And so I think, you know, keeping those logs in those journals and being aware of it's not necessarily just in those 800 times on the track or, you know, like, Oh, boom, every week I'm getting one second faster or able to negative split or whatever it is. It is really just, it's intertwined in a lot of different pieces and triathlon provides a lot of opportunity for that. You know, there's just, it's three different sports There's so many pieces to the sport. So that's, you know, I think if we can push people's minds to think away from just Am I getting more Watts? Am I going faster? Are the splits faster every single time, every single week? Then I think that progression is going to have like a a bigger lens and then the motivation is going to go up. And I think that that's an important conversation to have with your athletes. And I think the reason we're having this conversation now is we're, you know, like six weeks into the year or something like that. And I think that's right about when those you know, you've been progressing really well because you're just getting back into things and you're like starting to feel better and better. And all of a sudden you're kind of like, ah, I'm now flat again after, after that little, little mini bump from ramping things up in January. And so this is that time where you have to say, Hey, what progress am I actually making right now? Even though it doesn't like look or feel like I'm making that progress that I want to see. 
And sometimes you actually go backwards, right? I mean, like when you're in really high training load and, and, or if you're making technical changes or you've made a drastic change to your training to see if you get a different stimuli and response to, to move forward, it can be is sometimes you'll like, you've got to walk an athlete through it as, is that you're like, look, your expectation, expectation needs to be like for a little while, things are going to go what feels like backwards and you need to settle down and not panic in that time because that's the point of what we're doing right now. And then the result is going to come, you know, maybe months down the road or weeks down the road or at a specific event. And you just gotta, you, you gotta have a really good head on your shoulders to be able to handle that. And as coaches, we got to decide which athletes can handle that and which ones need that, you know, real safety net of seeing some kind of progress every week and not let it get to them too much you know, which ones mentally can, can process that and, and stay motivated and, and stay excited about the sport. Yeah. Elliot I think, was, Oh, I just got a quick I was going to say for the, go for it. I was going to say Elliot uh, was poking me about my swim and that's uh, that's kind of right where I'm at right now. I'm uh, I'm definitely swimming backwards at the moment. And it's, it's, it, it's perfectly in line with, with what my tr- training has looked like but it's not what I want to see. So yeah, I, uh, I feel that, I feel that progress not moving forwards, but it's a good thing. I mean, it's like, you're doing the work right now. So you see the forward progress, like weeks and months from now, it's like right now you're like, Oh man, I feel like I'm going backwards, but, but you know that cause you, you can logically look at, you know, the, the changes in training or perhaps the, the training load and that kind of thing. And you think when doing all this and it's easy as an athlete to go, oh, I'm doing all this work and I'm just getting slower and get, pissed off and frustrated. Right. I mean, that's, we see that all the time with our athletes and, and it's like, well, hang on a second. No, you're, this is like, this is part of the process is that you are going to be tired for a little bit. You are going to go backwards for a little bit and you're just fine. And, and we're going to see when you rest up and we tweak it a little bit, then you're going to go forward and how much you go forward from that. That's the fun part of it. That's the art of it, you know? And like we said earlier, maybe it'll be just this tiny little increment. Maybe it'll be show up in a different way. Um, maybe it'll be a huge leap. It'll be that one thing that just like, boom, all of a sudden you're like, Oh man, I made a huge breakthrough. And that was, that's pretty cool. I think when you're talking to the folks who can handle the idea that, uh, training isn't always linear, right? Cause you, you earlier, you're talking about some people are maybe not equipped or not informed enough to, to get into this idea that every workout is not going to have some shape or form of progress. So maybe you have to move them along really slowly, but with tiny bumps as they go. Um, and as a result, they don't maybe get those bigger volumes of training or, or however you want to define that to me, for the people who can handle that idea, I think the thing to keep in mind to me is that progress is absorbable effort. So if somebody's putting out an effort and they are able to show up to future workouts and able to put forth effort, meaning they're not getting sick. They're not getting injured. Maybe they're tired, but they didn't break. And they're like within a percent or two of what is expected. So if they expected to run three minute, eight hundreds and they're hitting that same effort, but that same effort on that day is three Oh three. Well, guess what? You're in the ballpark and that counts. And I would say that's something that would be like absorbable and then regression for that same person. You can like to, to give them the other side of the coin is either they stop doing the effort. They're so tired. They quit. 
or something happens in their life that they're, they're not doing the effort. Okay. Well, that's a regression. You know, if you just stop training, that's going to be a regression past a day or two or three. But the other part is, is it an unabsorbable effort? So you might say, okay, I want you to do three minute reps in these hypothetical 800s and you show up and you do 252s. Okay. Well, that's a huge progress. You went faster, but then what happens if you go to swim two days later and that's your big swim and you're supposed to swim three minute, 200s just to keep it at three minutes and you blow up and you're doing three twelves. You like, can't even come close, right? To me that 252. Okay. You can see it as progress, but in the sport of triathlon, you somewhat regressed yourself, especially if it then causes an injury or then if your 800s running are super blown up as well. So that's like, I think the biggest thing when you're judging, if something is regression or progress, it's like, how does that workout affect the next workout? Like it right in its own, in the, in, if it's a swim, then into the next swim, or if, if it's a run into the next run, but also how does it affect the other bikes and runs and how does it affect your day? And, and like, are you all of a sudden just going to be grumpy for days on end? Um, and then does that, if your grumpiness does not affect your training outcomes, then maybe it is progress. But if it's negative, effectively, if you're so grumpy that you stop showing up or you stop giving effort, then it's a regression. And, and so like, that's fully in the weeds, right? You're picking apart each, each individual thing. And you're like, well, that's that same thing. We're just talking about somebody's, you know, mental state. Um, but I think that's to me, how I would like deem is this progress is this regression. And I think, is it, is it absolutely fair as athletes to have the expectation to see constant progress? You know what I mean? Like no. week after week, day after day, year after year, like, is it, is it really, you know, if we're talking about expectations and setting expectations, right. And those moods that you're talking about and what it does to us psychologically, you know, is, is it fair to really expect that? No, it's, you know? I, I will. So I guess that's what I'm trying to say is like, you can be grumpy, but if you're still showing up and putting out effort, and your times are ballpark to me, that's progress because you're putting in work. So your times are off by 1% and you're grumpy, but you're not so grumpy that you're not giving up on the process. Then to me, you're going to see progress at some point. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, totally. So, yeah. And I think uh, another thing to keep in mind, right. Is that we don't like, maybe you don't really care so much if they're, you know, two or three seconds off in the moment in the 800s, it's like you, the athlete needs to go faster on race day. And so Correct. keeping athletes engaged in that, like the, the process isn't to be fast in the middle of the training block, right? It's to be fast when it actually counts. And so keeping that in the, in the athlete's headspace of like, Hey, you know, this is when you need to be fast and I don't need you to be fast today. I need you to, like Ellie was saying, like, keep showing up. And, and even if you're staying the same, right. The progress we want to see is, is when we actually take that dipstick and, and measure that progress. And, and you might have like benchmarking along the way, but the, the real test is like the actual race. Right. And, and so keeping, I think part of the game is keeping athletes engaged or athletes, keeping yourself engaged, knowing that like, you need to go through the steps, you need to commit to the process in order to see the progress when you're actually trying to take an accurate measure of that progress and, and not like not worrying as much about what pro what, the, what things look like along the way. Yeah. And I, I think a lot of people will say like, Oh, if you're really tired and you're in a bad mood, you need 
you need to take a rest day. And that can be true. But to me, the question is, if can you execute your training and get it done pretty close? If you can, you probably should do it. You probably don't need that rest day. If you just can't, or if you're taking every ounce of your soul to finish what is supposed to be a moderately hard workout, then you're probably um, taking away from your future gains because you've had to dig so, so, so deep. But that's pretty rare. I think at the end of the day, if you have a somewhat reasonable training plan, like you are tired and you are grumpy pretty regularly, but it's like, how often is it where you just cannot complete a workout day after day after day after day? Um, and to me, that's where I would call it regression if we're, since we're kind of like defining the two, I guess. Yeah. I think that the setting up the expectation of, of progress, you know, it can become a, it can become a booby trap. And I, what we're talking about here is that people, they get so fixated on those like day, day to day improvements. And like, I've got to PR this, I've got to PR, you know, a lot of our, a lot of our gadgets now set us up for failure that way that we constantly have to be PRing or setting, you know, setting personal improvements and records and beating everyone, all this stuff. And um, what you end up seeing to your point, Elliot, is that people want to rest over rest their training so that they see these PR performances constantly in training. And the reality is that they might actually not be training enough to see the progress that we're after overall as an athlete for their performance when it counts at a race. Right. And that's when we end up having a whole pool of people who race their training. They're always fresh and they race their training. They're phenomenal at setting PRs because they're always fresh at every training session. But then when it comes to race day and everybody else is rested, all of a sudden you see that person an hour slower than everybody else. And they're like, oh, what happened? I, I beat everybody every single training session or I PR every, every workout I do. However, when I go to race, I'm all of a sudden an hour slower than my competition, or I just go exactly the same. I don't have anything extra to give, or maybe even go slower than I do in training. And they beat themselves up on that, on that day that they were meant to have that golden performance. Right. So I think understanding that as well is really important. And it, and it ties really closely to what you were talking about there, Elliot. So what you're trying to say is more is more. Well, not always, but <laughs> just understanding no, this whole thing, you know? Yeah, no, I, I, but I, I do think like progression is, is would be defined as like, if more is absorbable, then that's progress. Absolutely. Right. So more yeah. is more if it's absorbable. And that's why I like, yes. I, the only note I had is progress is absorbable effort. So you have to have the effort and it has to be absorbable. And if you can do those two things, you will, you will progress despite the fact that you're throwing a little pity party before you get in the pool. And then you swell, still swim one second off what you thought you were going to swim. You know, and more, when we say more and more is more, it's not always like when people just so to clarify, it doesn't mean we're we talking about cheeseburgers. Yeah. Right? It's not even tacking on like more volume all the time. Right. It's like, because there, there's a cap out on that too. Right. If you've got someone who's already training, you know, maximum amount of hours and they do that for an extended period of time. And that's like, okay, that you're not going to add hours to that. That's, that's the maximum amount. And they start to plateau. Well, then more, when we say more might be that the, the hours actually go down and there's more intensity or there's more structure. So just but, to make sure that people understand when we say that 
it's uh, changing the training stress based on where you're starting to cap out. I think the biggest thing that most people forget about though, is more of the exact same plan that's maxed out on your life hours, just the number of weeks and months that you have at like, I have 17 hours I can train. I can train 17 hours, live a normal life, and I can absorb that load. Maybe you don't even need to add intensity. You just need more weeks of doing what you have time for. And if you keep doing that and you are consistent, of course, there's going to be breaks for your races or breaks for the end of the season. But like that really adds up over the course of a year, uh, over the course of a season and over a course of multiple years. And I, I've always thought like that's one of the cool things people are like, oh, I only have X amount of time. Um, and I'm like, well, do you really, is that sustainable? Cause you'd be surprised at what, like a very sustainable 12 hours that's mapped out well can do wonders. If it's repeat, if it, it repeats on end for a couple of years, people like blow their minds. They're like, I never thought 12 hours could get you this far. And it's like, well, it's cause you do it all the time. You just you know? basically nailed a fundamental of my like training philosophy. Cause I have people who are time limited and it's just like, we just roll the same number, number of hours, really, really, you know, week after week, after week, after week, after week, what changes within those hours? Uh, you know, that, that changes a lot throughout the year and throughout their progression, but we, but, um, and of course there's rest built in when it's needed, but that often happens just organically through life. And, um, and we just, you know, just someone's like, I've only got 12 hours. It's like, all right, this is what, then you just roll it, roll it, roll it. So, so, you know, Cool to hear you say that without even being prompted. Jesse yeah, told me before. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I think the, yeah, there's a lot of like, you can really change that intensity now, but a lot of directions with that same 12 hours, right? Like, oh, well, we're going to do a cutback week and everything's going to be easy, but you might still train 12 hours, right? So like if an outsider is like, for example, is just looking at someone's straw, you're like, oh my gosh, you're just always doing 12 hours every week. How is that even working? And it's like, well, you know, you can really manipulate that 12 hours quite a bit in order to give people some kind of like active recovery and still do that to to that end. Um, I it's like, what is the saying where it's like 80% of luck is showing up or something like that? You know, I, I don't, but the point is that like, if you just keep doing the 12 hours, we're all going to agree that you cannot have the exact same stimulus forever you know, so you're going to have to change that 12 hours somehow, but like so much of it is, even if you just had three, four month blocks of the same 12 hours and you just rotated them, that's enough change that you're going to get a lot out of that for like four years, you know, if you, you know, um, so I think so much of it is just showing up. And I think that's where like progress is showing up if you're not broken, right. If you, if you are healthy and you keep showing up, you will progress. But most people I think don't really believe that when they're not seeing the numbers. Yeah. I think that's a big thing too, is right. It's like, basically what we're saying is like, Hey, if you're not seeing progress right now, like that's okay. Just keep showing up. And I think that's people, you know, are like, ah, like they get stuck on that, on that notion of like, I'm not seeing anything improve. And it's like, well, you just got to hang on, hang on a little longer. And like, that will happen. Right. That's uh... Uh, well, to just to play devil's advocate, how, how long, like, let's say you have one of these time limited athletes, like how long do you, uh, let them hang out there before you just like, look at it because you and I, all three of us know things take time, you know, we're talking months and months 
And a lot of people are like, well, I put five weeks into this. I should see something. And we're like, well, give me, give me six months. Uh, that's a huge difference. This is an absolutely astronomical difference in terms of perspective. So how long as a coach would you be like willing to then say like, okay, I really need to rethink this because we haven't seen anything change in t- like 10 weeks, let's say. Like, do you have a time frame where you're like, maybe we really do need to change this. I kept telling them to keep showing up, but we're not seeing anything, right? So like, where do you start double checking, triple checking? That's when I would say like, you, you know, you, you would probably have to have some sort of benchmark, right? Like whether it's an FTP test or whether it's like a, some time trials in the pool where you say, okay, let's check in. And if you do have that longer time where like 10 weeks, 12 weeks, 16, 20 weeks, like somewhere in there, you should probably say, Hey, let's, let's, let's do something like we need to have a little bit of rest. And then when we come back from that, we'll do something to measure. And, and maybe if it's just for motivation to prove to you, like, Hey, look at, you are actually improving, or maybe it's to check and and say like, are you responding the way I think you are to this training? But I would say yeah, at some point in there in, you should probably do some sort of benchmarking to see that that's happening. Um, and it also could just be a race, right? Like let's, let's start a 5k. Let's, and, and again, like maybe we're not looking for that FTP to like grow massively, but maybe we're like, Hey, look, like, you know, you took the FTP test and your heart rate was a little bit lower. So you're getting the same power and, you know, you can measure like measure success and measure progress in a few different ways here. But, <coughs> but yeah, depending, especially depending on the athlete, if they need that for motivation, you definitely need to say at some point, like, let's, let's check in before the race. <coughs> Excuse me. Sorry. I, um, I think that I'm going to, this is where it's always fun. I actually, I hate benchmark tests. I don't find that they're really effective for a lot of athletes because I find that people sometimes that's the most athletes with benchmark tests shit the bed, to be honest. I mean, (laughs) you know what I mean? They do. They, they, and, and I've done it too. I say that is like, we, we set these tests up and then, and maybe it's good practice for racing or something like that, but you know, 20 minute FTP test. Is this really relevant to a long course or even like short course triathlon? What's the relevance? What happened to this person the days before? Did they sleep well? How nervous are they? All of these things. But for the most part, every time I set up some kind of testing for people and I've done it in the past, it's just like, what was the point of that? We did all this rest and we missed all this training and we didn't really get much out of it. But what I do, and that's just my personal experience. I, and I'm not saying I never test because I do, I test, I definitely set up FTP tests, certain swim tests, run all kinds of different run tests, that kind of stuff. And mostly like you said, Jesse, is that it's more mental for the athlete that to allow them to, to have a check-in point. But and my, my own experience as an athlete has been like, and, and I try and say this to my athletes all the time, like you should be able to look at all your workouts over the last three months and generalize how they've been going and have an honest conversation with yourself and your coach and realize if you're actually getting stronger, fitter, better, faster, better athlete, better at the sport overall. And, and not just, and a big summary blanket over everything that's happened over the last, yes, for a time frame. I think like three months is in a reasonable amount of time frame to where you sit down and assess, like, are we getting better or are we not? And I think that if we, and that's, that's generally how I've operated. It's like, let's look at everything. Are we getting 
better in some way over with what we're doing in the direction that we're going with the overall plan and towards the race, right? Like, are we, maybe it's their, their cadence is getting a little bit better. And that's what we've been working on. If we've been working on some nervous system speed drills, is their cadence actually getting better by the end of the three months walk? Is there heart rate recovery coming down in between the intervals and they're actually able to work harder at the interval and their recovery heart rate is coming down. So it shows that they're getting a little bit fitter. Are they able to execute week after week after week? And you can see that they're handling the sessions better and better with less fatigue. Like this is where I start to, that's where I draw my athletes attention as far as like, are we progressing versus like all this weight on one test? And, um, and, and I'm not saying I'm not against tests. Like I say, I do them too, but I just find that they're, they're really in general, not super successful. That's all that's, um, and I don't know if you You're guys have- not alone. I was going to say <laughs> previous to the pandemic, I use a, I would use time trials as workouts where somebody needed a specific hard effort. I mean, Jesse, you probably know, like, did I ever do a test once in nine years? You raced a lot. And occasionally you would do super hard workouts, but as terms well, of like, but I, I guess I would call those like sneaky tests, right? Like a race. Yeah. Yeah. A yeah. Test. And like, I guess no, a, it, a race is a test, but a race is also a race where there's so much learning opportunity more so than a test. Cause a race is a pseudo test. A, a, a test is a pseudo race, but a race is a race. So what, should I use the word assessment or like, but it's some way that you're measuring fitness, right? Like you're learning a lot, but it's Correct. some way to say, Hey, like, is this training working? And, Correct. and, and I would call like, I, when I test, I rarely say, Hey, we're doing a test today. So sharpen your pencils, folks come in hot. Like, let's say it's a 14 mile run and I give you a workout you've done before. And I can say, hey, your heart rate's a little lower. Sweet. Um, and I would Tested. call that. Yeah. Tested, done, took an assessment, like, JV and, tested and approved. Um, so, so I a hundred percent agree with what you're saying. And I, I think that I, I would broaden what you would consider like an assessment to like the, the, doing a repeatable workout or like a workout well, that, that even sense, if it's not a repeat a repeatable, but something where you can say, Hey, yeah, like, you know, you're doing this effort and I, we can see improvement here. So we're kind of measuring in some way without saying, Hey, well, we're going to go to the lab and we're going to measure your VO two and we're going to check and see if that's improved. Um, but yeah, just like some, some little, like some little check-in. I think in that, in that sense, like every single workout is an assessment and like part you're, of that assessment you just scared. You just scared everyone. Everyone is now scared to complete the next workout, <laughs> but I'm just saying but like, no, it's I, an I assessment. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like, so you're in checking that, in every, every workout, right? You're checking in, but you might be checking in cause it's too much. You might be checking in cause it's not enough. You might be checking in cause the execution is too hard. You might be checking in cause it's too easy, you know, and, and like staying healthy and all that. But, um, like back to the more standard point that Marilyn was talking about, like, I'm a big fan of just like previous to the pandemic, just like go race because you learn racing skills when you race. And we get this assessment, um, of progress, right. But even when you have the fitness, you still need race execution. So, so much of train, you know, training, the whole point of it is so that you can go to a race and use your fitness, but then there's the skill of using your fitness. And so much of racing is like, well, someone has gathered all this fitness, but are they using it appropriately? And we've all seen time and time. I mean, the number of actual bike racers that I've beaten is absurd. 
compared to how good I am. Like I am not a strong, I, I was never strong at bikes. Right. Um, in terms of like a pure number, but I'm pretty darn sneaky and I know how to use that and convince people I'm not going to be a problem, uh, until the end. Um, Jesse's seen this a few times, but like, so, so as an assessment tool, like it just like I, over and over again, it'd be like, well, you're probably not going to win this one, you know, just by the numbers. And that's probably true, but it'd be pretty depressing to, to see that. So you have the race to like, you can still grow, even if you're not necessarily, um, a physiological, physiologically gifted person, or maybe someone who's getting the most out of what their current training program has allowed. So you can still grow as an athlete and races allow that. Yeah. And if, you know, honestly, if you also have like access to, let's say the world is your oyster, like, um, you've got, you work with a college or you work with, you know, in person with your coach and they have like a a lactate tester and you do, let's say you you're in a race block and you say, okay, we're going to do a four week threshold block. And I want to see an actual threshold improvement. You might do, you know, a, a, a five, five minute step test, take lactate with all of those, and then, you know, do a four to six week block and then test again with lactate. Then, then, so I'm somewhere, I guess I'm pretty extreme in that I say like you, it's better as a coach and athlete to watch, watch all measures of improvements within all of the workouts over an extended period of time block. Or if you have extreme access to extreme accuracy, which to me, that means in person, you know, you have actual testing to blood lactate or heart rate and speed all at once. Yeah. And you can actually like, if you work in a college or something like that, and you have absolutely, you know, you're in with a, an Olympic Federation that has access to all that. So this middle ground stuff, I'm not a fan of, but it's either like the big blanket where we're watching all the parameters and indicators to see progress for most of us who are coaching online and, and remotely and, you know, watching programming and numbers through training peaks and, and data that way, or like you're hands-on and you have absolute accuracy with that kind of testing. And I think those two, those two ends of the spectrum work really well for watching progress with athletes. As somebody who lives with a U.S. national team athlete, there's almost nobody in the world who can actually pull off that one end. Like if you really dig into what it takes the Norwegians to do that, I was, I've been, I listened to podcasts with their national team coach, like it's going out of style. Um, but so much of like his background of how he got his education is similar to the professors I worked with in extra physiology. Cause they were Norwegian ski coaches. Um, it's a small world. And the point being is like, even when, if they don't have their exercise physiologists, they're more training like, like you or I would. And most people don't realize it. Like, yes, they have huge chunks of the year where they have, it's a one-to-one ratio and you need that person like with you for the whole workout. If you're, if your rides like six hours, like it is a huge pain in the butt and the amount of money that, that, that country in particular can put towards three or four people, um, makes it all worthwhile, but it's not available. Like Katie's Ferris isn't doing that. 
you know, she got the bronze medal. Like, it's just not a thing like Hoffman was like, he's never been able to do that. I mean, it's um, a lot of swimmers like, a, you know, like they swimming. Yeah. Swimming is very different. So it's such a control because you're stuck in the pool. If you if you're in a college system with swimmers and you yes. have the sports physiologist right there and the coaches on deck and you've got a whole team, um, you know, that 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 kind of environment, you can really, really, like you say, like lock it in, but yeah, I, you know, triathlon, it's, it's a lot harder and yeah, it's a huge expense. So, um, so let's, let's pull this, let's pull this back to, uh, our listeners. Uh, <laughs> we're just well, having hey, a conversation. If, if you're, I just, just let me say, if you're looking for an interesting TV show, the English dubbed Ingebrigtsen TV show, they're three brothers coached by their dad. Uh, they're also Norwegian. The youngest one just won the 1500 in, in the Olympics and they've all been Euro Euro champion in the 1500. So look it up. It's fascinating. And there's multiple episodes. All right, Jesse, I'm done. Sorry. So how or why or ways people can measure progress as they're going through their training right now, if you know, you're an age group athlete or a professional athlete that doesn't have access to all these things, um, and is it even worth it? I guess, and how we use that to stay motivated is kind of the nuts and bolts of, of what we're talking about today, right? So how can we summarize that, give people one or two like takeaways to apply to their own training or their own motivation right now while, while they're, you know, six, seven, eight weeks into their training and, and maybe you're hitting some of those plateaus. Early season, if we're going to narrow it down, the things I would say, look at. Are you able to handle the training load better with less fatigue? So recovery is getting better. The other one is, is my recovery heart rate between my working sets improving? If you're able to do that and you're able to see just a little bit more load every week and, and not have any injury or illness pop up early season. If you're seeing those improvements, then I think you're on the right track for pacing your year and, and getting into your race blocks. I totally misunderstood the question when you first said it. And I thought my answer was going to be get busy living or get busy dying. Um, <laughs> in the, in the sense too. that I, I thought your question was, um, like, should you give up hope or not? in terms of like your progress. Yeah. I, I don't know where I got that from. I must not have been listening. So the, but I think the takeaway that I was trying, trying to say is that if you show up and you are doing something and you stay healthy, like Marilyn just said, um, and you, if you have a plan of some sort and it's not breaking you and you're getting out the door, I would consider that progress. And most people are like, what are you talking about? Just keep showing up. That's, I think the biggest takeaway is like, if you keep showing up and you're not broken and you're not sick, um, your efforts might be misplaced. You know, they might be too long. They might be too short, but if you keep showing up, you're gonna somehow figure it out. Um, so take notes while you show up is what I would say. If you do those things, you're going to get somewhere eventually it might take a while, but you'll get there. Yeah. If you're completing that same, that same work and you're under more and more load, even if it's just like cumulative fatigue, then I'd say like, you're really showing progress and to, just kind of have faith, trust the process and know that once you start shedding some of that fat fatigue, you are going to go faster. And hopefully you have a race at some point in the future that you're kind of building towards. And, and you have that goal to say, Hey, like, I don't need to be faster right now. I need to be faster on race day. And you can kind of keep 
hold on to that as you're um, moving through time and and yeah, in order to be fast when it counts. Well said. Then why are you smirking McSmirkerson over there? I can't say. <laughs> After we're done recording. All right. Well, thank you guys for spending the hour with me. Hopefully people have some good takeaways in order to stay motivated and, and yeah, um, hopefully see some progress. <laughs> Thanks, Jesse. Thanks, Elliot. That was super fun. Thanks, guys. Cheers.